Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From pieces of Eden, solar flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hello and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as She Cup, and I'm here with my co-host for this show. And we're super excited to get into our topic for the day. Yeah, and so I am Austin, also known as Teacup, and we are here with another character deep dive. And today we are going back into one of the favorite families of Assassin's Creed, which is the Kenway family. And that means, of course, we are talking about the first Kenway that we meet, Haytham Kenway. Very exciting. Um, Haytham is a character that I do particularly love um, and have an affinity for. So I'm very interested. Right. And so before we do this, I'm going to preface that I'm not going to cover really cover the events of Assassin's Creed 3 or Assassin's Creed Rogue as you can play those games if you want to. Also, if you really want a detailed analysis of Assassin's Creed 3 and everything that happens in there, you can go listen to our Connor Kenway deep dive as I go through the whole plot in that, in those two episodes. But so we're going to hit the stuff that we don't see on screen and then we'll have a time to talk about Haytham as a whole. But I mean, we do know, unlike with Bayek, we do actually know a lot of what Haytham is doing in between games and before we ever meet him. Good. Let's get into it then. All right. So Haytham is born sometime after... Edward retires from being an assassin and basically retires down in London. Uh, So his mother is Tessa Kenway, who we will talk about on our Edward deep dive. She does have some a little bit more. We know more about her than we do, say, like Desmond Miles' mother, whose assassin, whose wiki entry says she's the mother of Desmond Miles and the wife of William Miles, which... We know more about Tessa Kenway. Not much, but a little bit. But we'll talk about her on the Edward Deep Dive. So really, Haytham's life begins when he was secretly, even a secret to Haytham himself, he was trained as an assassin at the age of six. So Edward doesn't tell him what he's training him for, but he trains him to be an assassin. Great parenting, Edward. 10 out of 10. Um, Haytham lived a sheltered life. Edward did not really want him interacting with the world. He was banned from speaking with the neighborhood children that lived with them in Queen Anne's Square, which I have no idea where Queen Anne's Square is in London. So if someone knows, tell me, but I don't know. So on his eighth birthday, Haytham and his family were walking home from a uh, trip to a White's Chocolate House 
in the Chester on Chesterfield Street when a group of muggers attack them. They're trying to st- steal Tessa's necklace. So Reginald Birch, one of Edward's senior property manager, was who was with them, threatens to kill the robber. So Edward talks Reginald back from that, who was infuriated by the vigilantism. When Haytham returned home that day, Edward asked his son whether or not he shot, thought this thief should be allowed to go free. At first, Haytham replied that he initially held feelings to enact revenge, but would have offered the man clemency, to which he was presented with a steel short sword by his father. Edward then put the sword away in a secret compartment in the games room, telling Haytham that it was only to be used with Edward's permission. So, pause here. This is literally Batman. Like, this whole thing is the origin of Batman. Just that Edward and his wife don't die. Well, you would know, Batman lover as you are. I just read that and I was like, oh, like, even like, there's like the scene that like when you, when Batman revisits his thing of like the robber, like, clutching at Martha Wayne's pearl necklace. And so like that's the the symbolism and analogy here is just too strong to not be anything else. So Haytham continued his training. Now understanding what Edward was training him for, uh, Edward encourages Haytham to think for himself and dispute others' opinions. Uh, so Birch became a regular visitor to the Kenways as he was courting Jennifer Scott, Haytham's older half-sister. Shortly before Haytham was 10, Birch approached him and expressed interest in its training. Haytham mentioned to him that his steel sword was kept hidden in the game room. Shortly after, Haytham overheard an argument between his father and Birch. Birch left and turned to uh, Haytham, mentioning that he tried to warn his father Subsequently, Edward hired two British soldiers to guard the house. On the night of December 3rd in 1735, uh, five mercenaries attacked the Kenway household. Edward managed to dispatch, dispatch one, but was killed when another attacker plunged a sword through his chest. During this event, Haytham t- took his first life by grabbing the first man's sword and stabbing his mother's attacker in the eye. Soon afterward, Edward's killer knocked Haytham over, but was prevented from killing him when Reginald Birch arrived and slew the mercenary. Regardless, they were unable to prevent the fourth and fifth members of the group from kidnapping Jennifer and setting fire to the house. So here's a question. Mm -hmm. How old is Haytham when he does this? So he's 10. Uh, He's born in 1725. Wow. I mean, can you imagine killing someone at the age of 10 years old? No, absolutely not. Me neither. Right. So Edward is dead. And so they hold a funeral uh, for all those who were killed in the attack. Birch approaches Haytham with the sword that Haytham told him about, which he recovered from the house. Birch revealed that having been appointed by Tessa as the family counselor and guardian, he was going to search for Jennifer in Europe and was going to take Haytham with him. He revealed that that his source of her location were with his Templar contacts. 
So Reginald Birch, as you know, is a Templar. So so Edward is friends with Reginald Birch or like employed Reginald Birch before Edward dies. So my question is like, was that all a ruse? And Reginald Birch was like plotting to attack Edward and his family this whole time? Or is it just a coincidence? We're going to keep going, but it is not a coincidence. So Haytham is enthralled with the notion of working with a knight. So at this point, Haytham doesn't know that the Templars are actually like this secret order. He thinks the Knights Templar, like, oh, this guy's a knight, but wanted to stay. But he wants to stay and look after his mother, who had been too ill to attend the funeral. Birch noted that Haytham had not actually seen her since the attack and added that she had been traumatized by seeing her son kill a man. After finally speaking with his mother, who had now taken a cold attitude towards Haytham, Haytham decides to leave London for Europe, which that sentence that I wrote was stupid because London is in in Europe. So he left London for the greater European continent. So the night before his departure, one of the chambermaids of the household, Emily, informed Haytham that her sister Violet a servant for the Barrett family had overheard Jennifer screaming about a traitor as she was dragged into the mercenary's carriage. The following day, a man with a West Country accent had threatened her into keeping quiet. Emily suggested Birch could be the traitor, which Haytham dismissed, but then realized that Jack Digweed, Edward's personal valet, had been away during the attack. So after this, Reginald Birch introduces Haytham to Edward Braddock, a fellow Templar in the army who was to conduct the search for Jennifer. Haytham told him of his suspicions and Birch and uh, Braddock soon discovered Digweed was missing, but vowed to find him. For the next five years, Birch and Haytham searched for Jennifer, who had been sold to Turkish slavers. So the outbreak of the War of Austrian Succession in 1740 forced them into to curtail their efforts. The two br- bought a chateau near uh, Torres, France, where the Birch continued to instruct Haytham in the ways of the Templars. Haytham found solace in the Templar ethos, which he felt to be a comfortable match to his father's philosophy of questioning, although he was skeptical of Birch's beliefs about the first civilization. Haytham was inducted into the order and performed his first assassination on the greedy merchant in Liverpool. He later would kill an Austrian prince as well. These actions soon gave Haytham the reputation of an efficient killer. So two things I want to really point out is that Edward would be rolling in his grave to know that Haytham considers his philosophy of questioning to be in line with the Templar beliefs. Second, This is an important note for later of Haytham's decision. Haytham does not buy into this precursor first civilization Isu stuff. He doesn't view it as viable. Very interesting. I think I agree with your assessment that Edward would be horrified that his son views his philosophy as aligning with the Templars. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think now would be a good time for our break. My cousin! Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! My 
Malaka! 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 I get the sense you two are ill fit for whatever it is you're plotting. <laughs> this one takes us for a fool, brother. We sons of Ragnar have this well under control. No, we do not. Sons of Ragnar? I know of many, but never have I heard of dull and duller. Well, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not the lore of Assassin's Creed. The first thing I have to tell you about is our Patreon. We do have a Patreon. It's the best way to support us at certain tiers. You can even come on the show. Um, but if you can't support us financially, the best, the next best way to support us is to leave us a rating or review on Apple or Spotify. And I do have one to read today from Apple. And this one comes from more F1, or this one comes from more 511. And they said, fantastic podcast. Assassin's Creed is my favorite game series. And I just discovered this podcast. I spent a lot of time in my car and this is the perfect thing to listen to while driving. Your in-depth deep dives into and into the lore is amazing. And I can't wait to listen to more and more of this show. Thank you so much for that awesome review. We are super thankful that you took out the time to give us that. Um, and then the next thing I have to talk about is the Discord. It's my favorite place on the internet, as I always say. We've got great people there who want to talk about Assassin's Creed and Dragon Age and Star Wars and all the other um, podcasts we have and all the other game, video gaming topics that, that may arise. We've got a great community, so come over there if you are looking for some people to talk to video games about. Um, and then the next thing I have to tell you about is my Odyssey playthrough is... Um, still going. I'm, I haven't made a ton of progress. I'm still on Cephalonia, but yeah, I'm still playing Odyssey and I still love it. And other than that, unless you had anything to add, Austin, I think we're ready to get back to the show. I think we're ready. So let's get back to it. Me, Haytham, I come in peace. Why are you speaking so slow? Sorry. What? Um, I, I was told you could train me. No. Go away. I'm not leaving. Yanka! Yanka! Is everything all right? What do you think? Look at this place! And poor Bianca. If something's happened to her... Aha! Oh, my darling. Thank God you're all right. Ezio, meet Bianca. Bianca, Ezio. Charmed. So, in 1747, so we're now... 13 years past Edward's death. Haytham assassinated a Templar traitor, Juan Vedomir, in Spain and retrieved a journal containing a largely coded research on the first civilization for Birch. On meeting Birch in Prague, Haytham was informed that his mother had died. While returning to London, Haytham reread his childhood diary and realized that Betty, one of the nursemaids, had been in a relationship with Digweed. 
After Tessa's memorial, he tracked Betty to her current place of employment and interrogated her. She revealed Digweed had been blackmailed by a man with a West Country accent who threatened his children. Betty pretends not to know where Digweed was, but Haytham shortly intercepted a letter from her addressed to Digweed's location in Southwest Germany. Haytham and Birch arrived there two weeks later and questioned a shopkeeper where the shopkeeper appeared reluctant. Haytham threatened his son, forcing him to recount that he had already informed two British soldiers of Digweed's location and that they had blackmailed him into keeping quiet. Learning Digweed lived in a cabin 15 miles north, Haytham and Birch immediately ride off. On the way, Haytham spotted one of the soldiers riding back. He noticed that he had pointed ears like a man who had kidnapped like the man who had kidnapped Jennifer. So confirmed elves for Assassin's Creed? I don't know. Uh, soon after they found Digweed being tortured by the remaining soldier, and Haytham pursued the man into the forest where he caught up and pinned him down by stabbing his kidney. The soldier turned out to be the man with the West Country accent, revealed Edward was an assassin and had died for something in his possession but died before he could reveal anything more. Uh, Subsequently, Haytham found papers revealing that the man served under Braddock's regiment in the Dutch Republic. He returned to the cabin to inform Birch. uh, There learning that Digweed had died to his injury, Haytham resolved to pursue the pointy-eared man to the Dutch Republic. So after a day of writing, Haytham caught up with the kidnapper and fought with him until British troops arrived and knocked the pair out. Haytham awoke to find himself with a rope around his neck and that he had been mistaken for the pointy-eared man's fellow deserter. Haytham managed to break free, but too late to prevent the mercenary's execution. Braddock soon informed Haytham that the man's name was Tom Smith and expressed indifference to one to one of Jennifer's kidnappers having been under his command all along. He gave Haytham permission to conduct his investigation among his troop but also requested his fellow Templar serve him during the war against the French. Haytham aided the British as a member of Braddock's uh, Coldstein Guards during their retreat from the siege of Bergen-Opsum. As they departed on the ships, a man asked if his family could come aboard. Haytham obliged as there was room, but Braddock refused. The man refused. Responded by calling him a craven, so Braddock angrily ordered his execution executioner to kill them all. It, even the infants were not spared. Haytham witnessed more acts of cruelty and violence from Braddock as they served together, realizing Braddock was abandoning the order. In the meantime, he befriended Pirate Jim Holden, who had been or Private Jim Holden, who had been forthcoming with information about Smith. He revealed that he had been a member of Braddock's inner circle of mercenaries, which worried Haytham. He eventually asked Holden to leave the army and become his gentleman's gentleman, primarily acting as his carriage driver. Uh, In 1753, Haytham was ordered to kidnap a young rebel named Lucio Albertine in Krosnia, who had been protected by the, the assassin Miko. On being uh, ambushed by the assassin, Haytham lost his treasured sword. Though the fight ended when Haytham pulled Miku into a caravess, but was dragged in along with with him. Miku grabbed a hold of a rope in Haytham's arm to prevent himself 
from falling into a steep drop, though Haytham loosened Miko's hidden blades from his arm and bit his hand, causing Miko to fall. While they did not finish off his adversary, upon Haytham's suggestion, Miko fled to fight another day. Afterward, having the assassin's hidden blade to compensate for his lost sword, Haytham then brought uh, Lucio to Birch so that the Templar Grand Master could blackmail his mother, Monica, into decoding the journal that Haytham had retrieved earlier. Any thoughts? I'm just kind of in awe that he does all of this. It just seems like a lot. Um, but it also is interesting to me. So Braddock is a Templar the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so just this part about like, I feel like he really learned so much from him about how to be a Templar. And it's interesting to me that even yet Braddock, you know, he considers and is thinking about leaving the Templars. Right. Braddock is Realize the one. that Braddock is leaving the order. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because like Haytham is learning so much from Braddock about being a Templar and like almost emulating him in a way, but also being like, no, he takes it too far. And Braddock is like leaving the Templars. So it's interesting to me that he kind of almost looks up to this person who is not quite the ideal Templar. Right. Um and he really looks up to Birch. That's who really Haytham idolizes. Mm-hmm. And except for the whole precursor obsession. But we kind of go into this is where we're getting into the close to the beginning of Assassin's Creed 3, where Haytham goes to the theater. He retrieves the precursor key. Birch sends him to the, clo- to the colonies to rebuild their order and their presence there. This is where we get all the... Th- stuff where they have to hunt down Braddock and they end up killing Braddock and there's a lot and even there like Braddock is known as being cruel and unnecessarily violent and Haytham is disgusted by him at all times and wants to kill him so it is in this time that Haytham meets Keo Connor's mother and they basically work together to take down Braddock and then after that they spend a few weeks together camping uh their bliss, their bliss was ended when Charles Lee, the ultimate uh, cock blocker, um, delivered a letter from Holden, which revealed that Jennifer had been found. Uh, Lee then informed Haytham that Braddock had died of his wounds. Wounds, Realizing that Haytham had lied about Braddock being actually dead, Keo ordered him to leave and to never contact her again. Which we don't get in game, but that's what happens to why they are no longer in contact. I get it from her perspective because, like, she knows he's a Templar. She she knows, um, right? And I just feel like, also for a woman from a Native American tribe in that time period in the 1700s, it's kind of like she knows that they can't have a happy life together. She knows that like they're never going to settle down. And live in a house together. Nor would she want to do that. Because that would mean she has to live a life away from her tribe. And so they can't be happy together as much as we may want them to. And I think she recognizes that. And that's why she says that to him. Um, so I get it. Even if it makes me a little sad. Uh, there is no happy ending for romance in Assassin's Creed. Um, but so Haytham 
leaves. He leaves the colonies for a bit while he's doing this. And he reunites with Birch, returning uh, the journal of precursor knowledge to him. However, their relationship had become strained. And it is in this that Haytham lies to Birch. He says that the Templars in America are working on finding the site when they're not. Haytham has abandoned that entire idea. Uh, and that he had been given a clue to a new precursor location in the Middle East. For two years, Haytham and Holden tracked De- uh, Jennifer's location to Topaki Palace in Constantinople, where she had been a concubine, and then to uh, Quasar Azim, uh, the, governor pal- the governor's palace in Damascus, where she had attended in the harem. Disguising themselves as eunuchs, Haytham approached Jennifer and got her to leave, but not without tipping off the guards. Holden stayed behind to fend them off while the Kenways escaped. Holden was taken to a monastery in Egypt where he was forcefully underwent operations to actually become a unit. Haytham found him and distraught killed the priest who performed the operation before setting the monastery on fire. Do not harm Haytham's people. He will destroy you. So after Holden's condition improved, the trio traveled to Birch's Chateau, uh, attacking at nightfall because it was revealed that Birch planned the death of Edward, that Birch was behind killing Edward and, and was behind selling Jennifer into slavery. So they attacked at nightfall. Haytham and Holden took out all the guards and Haytham's associates, including John Harrison, as Haytham went into Birch's office to confront him. He forced his sword through the door and and the guard waiting behind to pounce him. While Holden went down to free uh, Lucio and Monica, Jennifer attacked Birch, but he caught her and placed a knife to her throat. She continued to struggle and eventually pushed him onto the sword in the door, killing him. Subsequently, Haytham gave Lucio and Monica food supplies, forced to travel, and his own sword for their safety, though uh, the Lucio swiftly stabbed Haytham in the chest with his weapon for Haytham's previous crimes against him. This injury kept Haytham in bed for half a year, during which he was taken care of by Jennifer and Holden. When they finally recovered, Haytham witnessed that Holden had committed suicide as he had uh, little reason to continue living with his injury. After Holden's burial, Jennifer returned to live in Queen Anne Square while Haytham returned to America. The two continued to write each other, but very rarely as they had little in common other than their harrowing experiences, which they had little reason to reminisce about. So this is all important as Haytham returns to the colonies to basically destroy the assassin order of the Eclodial Rites, which are the events of Assassin's Creed Rogue. So I want to talk about this, like, my discussion question is kind of, how do the events of Hathen's past really bring to light his character that we meet as Connor and his motivation and everything that's going on? I think, honestly, by the time he even meets Connor and knows about Connor, it's almost like he doesn't have the energy or the emotional depth anymore to care about another person that he is afraid of losing. 
because he's lost everyone in his life, everyone. Um, and so I, I genuinely think he's like, I can't almost, he almost feels like he can't get too close to Connor because if he gets too close to him, he'll truly love him as a son and then he'll just get hurt again, which is probably true. But also I think it's like, he also feels a responsibility to almost like toughen him up in a way. Um, so I think, I think Haytham feels very much in a catch 22 when it comes to Connor. Right. And I think that it's really interesting because I love Haytham's like death sequence with Connor, you know, like when you, whenever you, in the old games, if you remembered, you would kill someone and you would like hear their last words basically. And I really love Haytham's scene with that because he talks about to Connor that like, he's proud of him in a way. Like, and that he does this and he's proven himself. And Haytham's like comment is, I should have killed you years ago. And I think with Haytham, with his backstory, there's so much depth to that because it's almost Haytham realizing that Connor was now his weakness. Like mm-hmm. allowing himself, even getting to know him as he did allowed Haytham to be compromised. And so his his comment isn't like, I should have killed you years ago because you're a threat. It's more of, I should have killed you years ago because you became my liability. I completely agree with that. Um, completely agree with that. And I think it's, again, Connor, or again, Haytham's character, like, I think he's completely and unable to hundred percent abandon or murder his own child. I don't think that's something he'd be willing to do or able to do for that matter. I think, and I think like Haytham, so much of it is like, he's really the first Templar that we meet that you have to go. Okay. Like you're not an evil person. You're not a good person, but you're not an evil person. You're not Charles Lee. You're not Rodrigo Borgia. You're not all of these other people who are evil and do unspeakable evil things. You're just mm-hmm. a guy. You're just a guy. And he's he's also not a guy who relishes violence like many no. of the Templars are. No, if Haytham can solve a problem without murder, he's going to pursue that before he kills anyone. Mm-hmm. Very and, much. And it's like, you know, there's the scene where he kills the guy in the theater and then he sees the little kid there and he like puts up his whole thing to be like, shh. And like, I want to like go back and like with all of this, like, there had to be so much emotion going through Haytham's mind when he did that, because that little boy couldn't have been older than 10 when Haytham witness does his, uh, does his first murder and witnesses the death of his father and tragedy. And here is this boy again, echoing that. So I just wish that there would have been a more, but we wouldn't have understood what was going on if they did that. But yeah, true. So uh, why do you love or hate, hate them? 
I do love Haytham. Um, I enjoy Haytham for a few reasons. Number one, because he's not the traditional um, villain Templar that we usually get. That's like just bloodthirsty, violent, angry Templar who's out for blood. The, again, it's the same reason that I love Otto Berg because they're complicated villains and because they have reasons for acting the way they do. They have motivations outside of, oh, I just support the Templar order and I want to kill people. And so I love him for that, but I also enjoy Haytham because he very much has that kind of like sense of morality and sense of ideology that like neither the assassins nor the Templars have it all right, I think. Um, and I enjoy that because I think it's a refreshing take when, you know, most of what we've seen is assassins, good Templars, bad. Um, so I, I personally really like Haytham. I don't think he's a bad dude more than anybody else in this series is a bad person. Um, so I, I really like him. Right. Um, I echo everything that you said. Um, I think he's an excellently written villain. Um, I think he's the first Templar we meet that is truly after the goal of peace that they claim to want. They want to build this new world order so that it will be a more peaceful one. But every Templar we meet is obsessed with their own power and their own control and furthering themselves into greatness. I fully believe that if world peace and new world order required Haytham to step aside and move out of the spotlight, he would. I agree with that. Um, and another thing that I really enjoy about Haytham is that like he very much is a person that would absolutely not fit in with the modern day Templars. I think if he magically got transported to 2020 and saw what Abstergo and the modern day Templars were doing, I, I think he might defect to the assassins. Um, and that's because of all of this stuff with the Isu, like he's not about that. And I found that so fascinating. I didn't really realize that um, was a thing in when I played three. Um, so I think that's super fascinating. A also unique take since so much of the Templar stuff now, and just generally the story is about the Isu. Right. Um, but yeah, do you have any final thoughts on Haytham? I think so. All right, then I think we can wrap up. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. 
And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Warcast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere.